Thank you for joining us today. In this series, Ask, Pastor James tackles the most commonly asked questions in church. We hope this enlightens and inspires you to move forward in your walk with God. Deuteronomy chapter number 8, verse number 17. Uh, I'm going I'm to do the second part of this series. This, this month we are doing a sermon series called Ask. And during this series, during the, the, the five-week series, I'm going to be addressing some of the tough questions uh, or things that maybe is a little confusing about church or confusing about the Bible. And so last week we kicked it off with why do bad things happen to good people? And that's a legitimate question, something that I think everybody has probably wondered or asked at some time. And so we tackled that last week. This week, I'll be honest with you, I wanted to go into something real exciting, uh, something, you know, that we could get excited about and do some cartwheels and, you know, act Pentecostal and Baptocostal and every other costal and just go crazy. And, and But I want to address a subject today, and I couldn't even give a question for a title for this one because there are so many different things, so many different questions that people would have, whether it's referring to the Bible or it's referring to church or situations in our own life. But I'm going to talk about a subject this morning that nobody wants to talk about in church, but everybody really wants to talk about it somewhere else. All right. Is that all right? I got some of y'all looking like deer in headlights like, all right, so, uh, so I'm going to preach about this morning on a thought, and if this is your first time at the harbor, this might kind of flip you out just a little bit if you've ever been to churches and maybe heard this uh, in a way that uh, you felt uncomfortable with, which I can't promise you'll feel comfortable this morning either, but I'm going to address this in a raw, in a real, in a biblical manner, and I'm going to preach for the next few minutes on the thought, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. I love just mentioning the word money in church, and people's like, <whistles> you know, and so, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about it, not just in a church sense, but we're going to talk about it in a biblical sense, in a church sense, in your family, in your marriages, because, well, never mind, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me read this scripture first. Deuteronomy chapter number eight, verse number 17. This is what your Bible says. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power. Man, think about that. God said he gives you power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Now, this is something that you hear a lot of. If you ever, if you ever watch TV preaching and you hear what they call prosperity preachers, you've probably heard this verse before. But I want to point something out to you, and I want everybody to pay very close attention because I'm going to give you some things from the Word of God this morning that will and can change your life if you let it. So I'm going to ask once again, because I know I've been saying this every other Sunday, and I'll just throw this in. I'm going to ask everybody that could, unless it's an emergency, please remain seated in the auditorium. If you do have to step out, I completely understand. Please enjoy the re- remainder of the service from the overflow Because I want to preach something this morning that will change your life. And for whatever reason, most pastors do not want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. Money is that taboo thing. I mean, it makes people constipated. It it gives people, you know, just uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Anytime they hear the word money mentioned in the church. And I want you to notice what's confusing because this is one of those scriptures that everybody quotes when they want to talk about getting rich and advancing and prospering. And man, God wants me to be blessed. And he don't want me driving my Chevette. He wants me driving a Corvette. And he don't want me living, uh, you know, down on the end of the, uh, of the place that I live. He wants me living in a big five-story, 12-bedroom, six-bath house that they want to put on MTV cribs. He wants me to be blessed. And he wants my husband to have abs. And he wants everything in my world to just be peachy. You know, that's, that's, that's the mentality. That's what everybody wants. Everybody, everybody. And if you in this room say, I don't care about being blessed. You're a liar. We're going to have altar call. Everybody wants to be blessed. Everybody wants to be blessed. And this is the scripture that says, now notice this. God didn't say he has power to give you wealth. 
He said he gave you the power to have wealth. Now, I think it's important that we understand what wealth is because when we hear wealth, we all automatically think of money. It's like, man, give me the Benjamins, Jesus. That's what you said. You wanted it. But I want you to know that the Hebrew word that wealth derives from, that the definition of it is not to be rich or to have all this money. It means an abundance of resources, an abundance of resources. You can have $10 million and still not be wealthy. Because if you have nobody in your life to share it with, amen. If everybody, it's like, you know, when, when, when you broke as a joke and you ain't got no friends and you ain't got no family, but then all of a sudden you wander down into the shell station and you win $10,000. Now all of a sudden you got cousins, cousins, cousins that's jumping out of tree houses and coming down to meet you because everybody loves you when you got something to offer. We learned that as teenagers, did we not? How many of y'all remember as long as you got $15 of gas in the tank, you, you surrounded with people wanting to hang out with you on Friday night. But when you broke and ain't got no job, Come on now. And so I want to talk about, we have to understand what wealth is. Wealth is an abundance. You can have a lot of money and not be wealthy. You can have an amazing family and be broke as a joke. Amen. Wealth is an abundance of resources. That means you have more than necessary in multiple areas in your life. You, you are comfortable in the materialistic and the relationship sense. So I want to, the, the Bible says he gave us power to get wealth, but then it's kind of confusing because he said that I may establish uh, the covenant which I swear to your fathers as it is this day, and it shall be. If thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them, and worship, and worship them. Hold, 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 hold on. Not wealth. He's talking about wealth. Now he's talking about worship. Man, it's, it's sounding like God's as ADD as I am right now. How, why is he jumping subjects? Or it, could it be that the two are linked together? That if, I, I'll give you the power to get wealth, but if you forget me and you turn to other gods and you serve them and you worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish why would God start off talking about wealth and then he goes to worship why why when God's talking about wealth because he knows when he's when he's talking about wealth I'm thinking the NBA package and the NFL upgrade on my cable and when he's talking about wealth I'm thinking that means I can get a newer car and I can have a nicer home and I can wear nice clothes and I can get rid of some of this stuff that's been kind of outdated when God says wealth I'm thinking of stuff I'm thinking of material stuff but all of a sudden God flips the page and now he's talking about worship if you want wealth you got to know how to worship if you want wealth you got to be committed to worship. If you want wealth, you got to understand worship. It's not one or the other. These two are linked together. There's something that has them eternally bound. If you want wealth, then you must understand the concept of worship. Now, I want you to tell where worship. The worship, worship is an old English term that comes from the, from the language of Latin. And the Latin word for worship, it literally means worth-ship. Worth-ship. You see, to worship in Latin is worth-ship. That means I understand the value of something, therefore I acknowledge it. I understand it has worth, so therefore it has a significance in my life. Is anybody getting it? Could it be that worship really doesn't have anything at all to do with music? Because the Bible says praise has to do with music. You can read Psalm 150, all six verses, and he says praise him on the stringed instruments. Praise him on the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him on the loud-sounding cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. That's, that has to do with music, but worship, you're, you're telling me that it doesn't really have to do with the melody. It has to do with understanding the value understanding the word the substance it's it's understanding who it is worth shit and so you find that there is a common thread between wealth and worship and the common thread between wealth and worship is this understanding giving giving is the length between worship and wealth. And if biblically we can ever understand this, con I'm not talking about giving in the offering. I'm not talking about making your conscience feel better because you knew that you did something you should have did with the last hundred. So you're going to get $5 in the offering and you're going to make yourself feel better. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there is a common thread between wealth and worship. 
and it is giving. You see, because when I understand what worship, what worship really is, that's why I stand up when I come to church. That's why when the music, I'm not standing up because a Billy Bob over here is standing up and Susie Q over there standing up. I'm standing up because it is a sign of reverence and respect that when a deity or a person in authority, what would happen if the governor walked in the room? Everybody stands up. What happens when the president enters in the Supreme Court? Everybody stands up. You know why I stand up? It's because I'm in the presence of royalty. It's because there is a royal king that has entered this room. His blood rolls through my veins. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I dare somebody to stand up on your feet and give your God a praise if you know he's worthy. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my worship. He has value that is immeasurable. That's why I stand. That's why I stand. That's why, that's, why, that's why I stand during worship. I lift my hands in worship. Not because, oh man, I'm just going to preach this morning. I feel the Holy Ghost. I lift my hands in worship. Not because everybody else is lifting their hands. I lift my hands in worship. Not because so everybody can see me. Because I'm going to do it if I'm the only person in the room. I lift my hands in worship. Because it is symbolic of surrender. It means I understand he's greater than I am. He's stronger than I am. He's mightier than I am. He's wiser than I am. I don't care if I look silly to you. I know in whom I have believed, and I know he's able, so I reverence him because he has value. That's why we clap our hands in church. Can I tell you, let me just say something that's denominationally just mess people up. We clap our hands not because we're Pentecostal. We clap our hands not because we raised in church of God. We clap our hands not because the Bible says clap your hands. All you people, rejoice and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I don't get up here and shout because I'm emotional. I shout because I know I win. I win in Jesus' name. There's power in the blood. Power to set me free. Power to set me on a rock. Power to meet every need. That's why I shout. That's why I clap. We clout. We clap in reverence. We jump, we dance in celebration. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a, we're non-denominational. But we biblical. That's why. That's why. And let me just say something that's going to get in, in some people's Kool-Aid and make it taste bitter. The reason some people don't do none of that stuff is because they don't understand. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me just go here. The reason anybody. <sighs> my safety team ready. My safety team ready. They all over the place. In case I get shanked or shot right. The reason anybody would not worship him. It's because they do not understand the value of him, the worthiness of him, the holiness of him, the greatness of him. It's impossible to understand him and not reverence him and know that he's a great, 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 great big God. It's impossible. Man, I'm feeling the preacher, Jane. Is it all right if I just preach it this morning? I'm just, I'm going to preach it. This ain't even supposed to be about worship. But I can't get off this. It's impossible to know his worth and not honor him. Now, you ain't got to do it like somebody else. But you setting up like bedtime Baptist. Refusing to give God reverence? Well, preacher, I don't like it that loud. Honey, they ain't no earplugs in heaven. <laughs> ain't none of them. Well, show me Bible for that. Psalms 33 and 1. Play loud with a skillful noise. Is that all right, Brian? I know it's your favorite verse. It's impossible to know his worthiness.
and not recognize it. That's what worship is. Worship is not turning Chris Tomlin on. Because worship can be an operation with not a sound. A musician can take off and worship doesn't change. They can feel the spirit and leave their instrument and nothing changes. I'm not waiting on the countdown to get to double zero. I'm just waiting for my opportunity to be in his presence. I'm not waiting on the worship team to hit a certain song or sing it. I don't care if it's old, if it's new, if it's fast, if it's slow. I know in whom I have believed. I just need a minute to worship him. I need a minute to show him thanksgiving. And people can say, well, preacher, you can believe it the way you want to. I believe it the way he wrote it. The Bible says it like this. That the scripture is of no private interpretation. God reveals things to some people so that they can share it with others. Because he gave us five offices. Pastor, preacher, teacher. But when it comes to the understanding of the scripture. It's open for anybody. God does not like me any more than he likes you. God does not like him any more than he likes her. It doesn't matter if you grew up a preacher's kid or a prostitute's kid. Don't matter if you grew up in a church house or you grew up popping pills and shooting needles every time you had a chance. When you're covered by the blood, you're covered by the blood. When you've been to the cross, you've been to the cross. When the Holy Spirit resides in you, The Bible says there is now therefore no Jew, no Greek, no Gentile, no man, no woman. We are all made free. We are all liberated through Christ Jesus. Worthship. The two are linked together. Understanding wealth and under, understanding worship is linked together by a thread called giving. Because worship, and don't get me wrong, the, the advantage of worshiping the music is this. The music and in, in, in the, the singing, it sets a tone. When God would have the intercessors, when the people of Israel would send the intercessors out on behalf of the armies getting ready to go to battle, do you know what they started with? They didn't pray first. They didn't quote scripture first. They came in with worship. They were setting an atmosphere. They were setting the stage for God to show up and do something mighty and reveal himself that he can do what man cannot do so the music sets the tone for it but worship and wealth is all about understanding giving and let me tell you why because giving is the hinge that separates generosity from greed generosity from greed and both of them are alive and thriving one or the other in worship and in wealth. God will not give to somebody who is greedy. And God will not bless somebody that refuses to worship because it's all about them. It's greed. But then God will give to somebody that is generous because he told Abraham in blessing, I will bless you. Not I will bless you so that you can bless, but in blessing, I will bless you. He said, I'm not looking for a bucket. I'm looking for a pipeline. I'm looking for somebody I can pour into and they can pour into something else. I'm looking for a channel for a conduit. And wealth comes to the generous. And you know what's crazy? You don't even got to be saved to understand this. Look at Oprah. I'm not saying she's saved, not saved. I don't know. But I'm saying this is a biblical, this is a biblical concept that applies to everybody. And I'm going to prove it biblically here in a minute. But the same that it is in wealth, generosity operates through my worship. You want to know who God will bless? It's that lady that's walking through her house. It's that guy that's driving down the road. And it takes time just to say, Lord, I just want you to know I love you and I just thank you for being God. The generosity, they're a giver. They're giving of thanks. They're giving appreciation. They're giving acknowledgement. And do you know why? Because God is a father. And we do the same thing to our kids. You don't want to keep giving stuff to a greedy kid that don't appreciate what he's got. But when you know they're going to take care of it, you don't mind to get them something else. When you know they're appreciative of it, you don't care to give them something else. When you know they're willing to share with others, you know, it's the same concept. He's a father. And giving is the hinge that separates generosity from greed. 
And this is, ooh, man, thank you, Jesus. This is what's so dangerous about greed is because when greed, and let me tell you how you can tell the difference in the house of the Lord. When money's mentioned, if it makes you, if it makes you clench, you got to be careful which one you're in. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not saying be cautious because we've heard some, some, some crazy weed-smoking, pill-popping something preachers that bend the scriptures. I don't know what the issue is, but they got some issues. Because when they distort scripture, that's serious stuff. Revelation 22 said, if you add anything to it, he'll add the plagues of revelation to you. And if you take anything out of his word, he'll blot your name out of the book of life. That's serious stuff to distort God's word. You have to take it in its entirety and in its context. And this is what you got to be careful. When money makes you so uncomfortable, you can't hardly stand it. And I'm not going to ask how funny you are sometimes. But you got to be careful because we see a story in the scripture where giving was taking place. And we saw generosity and greed in operation at the same place at the same time. The Bible says that there's a story where a woman came in and she had an alabaster box. And some people say it was her life savings. Other people say it was the equivalent to one year's wages of her father. And it was a gift that was to be bestowed upon her husband one day. And so she had kept this her whole life for a special occasion. But because she wanted to give Jesus the best she had, and it was the, it was the best thing she had, she took it and she broke this alabaster box and poured the ointment on the head of Christ. And it ran down his garment, down to his feet. And she knelt down. You know the story, many of you. She washed his feet with her hair, washing the mud in the mire and the manure off of his feet that he had gotten from those Jerusalem streets she was giving the best she had but Judas saw it and it wasn't the fact that she was washing his feet that she had a problem with it was the greed of what she'd spent to do it and you know the story the Bible says that Jesus turned around he rebuked Judas let me tell you something even crazier than that how do you know that Judas had a had a greed spirit because greed is a spirit you know how he, that we know he had it because Jesus Judas didn't betray Jesus he sold Jesus he didn't betray him he could have did that any time in the three and a half years he walked with him he sold him he was waiting for the right price to sell him out and 30 pieces of silver is what it took. Greed. We've got to be very careful. Because if Satan can get me tied up in a spirit of greed, it's no longer about God. It's no longer about people. It's about me. And most, let me say this, most Christians, most ministries operate under the concept of greed. Because it's about us. Make it prettier. Make it shinier. We ain't worried about, let's make our wall so beautiful we ain't got room for bus kids. Let's make our music so expensive and, and make our stuff so nice that we ain't got money and we ain't got resources to feed the hungry or clothe the naked. If we had 93 churches operating under the biblical context, there would be no people going to bed hungry. There'd be no people that can't afford to keep their lights on. If the church would do what the church is called to do. We wouldn't have all this mess going on. We wouldn't be worried about who looked nicer at Shoney's. It'd be about God and it'd be about people. It's understanding the concept. But when you get a Judas spirit, a greed spirit, everybody gets tense about money. And pastors are intimidated to talk about it. But let me tell you what's amazing to me. It's the most intimidating subject in a church, but it is the most stressed, focused aspect of most people's lives. Number one cause for divorce in America, money. Number one reason churches are divided, or we call them church splits, money. Number one reason ministries shut down, Money. Number one focus of our presidential election. Money. It's really the only subject. Because what do you need for abortion? Funding. What do you need to go to war? Funding. 
if they can prove it economically. And you know what amazes me? We're in a country where so many people are hungry. And over 300,000 people are in sex, are captured in sex trafficking right now in the United States. And hundreds of millions of dollars are spent on presidential elections. Hundreds of millions. Telling us how they're going to end hunger. Am I the only one that finds this ironic? It's the number one focus of governments. Money. Number one resource. It's the foundation of every business. Money. Over 78% of the people incarcerated in the United States is because of money. It drives us. It stresses us. It worries us. It perplexes us. And the thing that we need to know, one of the, one of the foundational building blocks, we need to know what God says about it. And everybody's scared to talk about it. Because of greed and generosity battling in the valley of giving. But let me tell you, there are three things, and you can write this down if, if you've ever had any fun. And let me tell you this. I'm not preaching this because I'm, a fi- I'm not Dave Ramsey. I'm not up here preaching something like I've never had any financial difficulty. But let me tell you what I found in Scripture and what has worked for us at the harbor. You ready? Here it is. There are three things that God looks at. And if we learn how to responsibly handle these three areas, God knows that you understand worship and you can handle wealth. I'm talking about in all areas, not just money. I'm talking about, it, but you mark my words. You try this. You ready? Here's number one gratitude. Gratitude. I'm gonna take a drink and say it one more time. Gratitude. This is huge. I'm going to read two scriptures to you. Philippians 4 and 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. This is written by a man named the Apostle Paul who had everything and had one of the most elite social statuses that there was in the Jewish people. And he gave it all away and remained thankful and kept gratitude going from the penthouse down to the pits. He remained grateful. He remained thankful. This is how Jesus said it in Luke 12 and 15. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness or greed. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Do you know what is one of the most, and all of you that are parents and grandparents, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. One of the most irritating things about a child is when they're not thankful for what they have. Is it not? I remember as a child, and I've told this story before. I remember as a kid, I was one of those people. I knew. I don't know where he kept it. I don't know why it was a big secret. But I knew my parents had a tree that grew money. I knew they did. I knew that dad could afford anything I want. I know he works in a factory, but I, I just he's got it somewhere. He's got a truck. He's got gas in it. They got food on it. We ate pinto beans at least four times a week. I knew that they had it somewhere. You got money, Dad. You just hide it. You just stingy. So what your problem is. And finally, one day in a store, my dad said something to me that just broke my heart. I was like eight, nine years old, and, and, and he didn't understand. I know he was worried about electric bills and water bills and all this insurance and all this stuff, but he didn't understand. I needed that cap gun. I needed it. ISIS was coming in a couple decades, and I had to have something to protect myself. And I remember I had a cap gun at the cart at Kmart or somewhere, and I'm like, Dad, I need it. No, son, put it up. Dad, you don't understand. You said that about the last 32 things I brought you when we got here. I need this cap gun. And my dad looked down at me, and he had frustration on his face, and I knew when, I, when you get him that frustrated, one of two things about to happen. He's about to break, or I'm about to get a whipping. And I was willing to take my chances because this cap gun had a holster. I mean, I'm telling you, I was determined. I was getting that thing. If I had to steal it and go to jail, I'm getting this cap gun. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm begging, and I'm pleading. And he looked at me, and he said, you know what? He said, I don't even think you love me. I think it's just the fact that you just love me for what I can give you. And when he said that, I'm telling you what. Number one, it worked. Number two, it broke my heart. 
And I remember tearing up right there and telling him, Dad, if you never bought me anything else, I'd love you because you're my daddy. And I believe one of the number one things that hinders us as the children of God is we forget the simple concept of gratitude. If God knows how grateful I am for what he's already, that's why, and I posted something on social media yesterday that God was dealing with me on this subject. When we worship, don't get me wrong, worship has has the ability to break you through a situation that's holding you back. But if the only reason we ever praise or give God worship is because we're wanting something else, you know what we are? We're a, spo- we're a spoiled child in Kmart with a cap gun. Waiting on the next shiny thing. Waiting on the next big thing. Waiting on the next pretty thing. But if I understand, I'm worshiping him not just because I need something. I'm worshiping him because, good Lord, if God never did another thing, Gene, if I sat down and I start counting up all the times that I felt defeated and he brought me through and I was sick and he healed me and I didn't know how, but somehow he made a way for the sin. When I sat down and I began to count the blessings of the Lord, there's more times he's blessed me than I got hairs on my head. He's a good God. He's a great father. He's a faithful giver. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is worthy. Would you give him a hand clap of praise if you know your God has been good to you and you just want to show a little gratitude? I'll read this, man. I'm going to try to get through this real quick. Luke 17, verses 12 through 19, Jesus tells the story about 10 lepers that came up to him. And it said that 10 lepers came up and they saw Jesus in the distance and they were crying out and said, Lord, have mercy on us. He said, turn around and go show the sacrifice to the priest that the law commanded you. And when they turned around, all 10 of them began to walk back home. It was illegal for a leper to enter into the city gates because it was an incurable disease. But they began to walk back because Jesus said them. And it said that as they began to walk along the way, they began to look over and he said, hey, hey, your face is clearing up. Man, where where'd those blisters on my hand? And they begin to roll their sleeves up. And the boils and the blisters, you don't understand. When you became a leper, you could no longer see your family. You could never hold your children again. You could never hold your spouse again. When you were a leper, you lost your job. You lost your home. You lost your status. You had to live as a poor beggar outside the streets. And the people that felt sorry enough to give you something couldn't even have contact with you. They lost everything. But when they began to walk back and they saw that they were whole, they began to lift up their sleeves. You know what they began to think? They began to think, oh, man, I get to go home. I get to see my husband again. I get to hold my wife again. I finally get to pick my little baby up that I've not held in six years. I finally get to go back and tell everybody, I'm home. I'm home. They got so excited, they began to run back. But one of the ten stopped. And he said, man, I want to see my wife. Golly, I can't wait to hold my kids. And what it's going to feel like to not sleep on rocks, but to sleep in my bed. But before I go home, I got to go find that man that just healed my body. And when I find him, I'm going to fall down at his feet and tell him, I love you, Jesus. You mean more to me than anything else in this world. I got to take a moment and show my gratitude. Give God a praise in this house and let him know how much we love him. Yay! Thank you, Lord. Gratitude. My God, I feel the Holy Spirit in this house. Gratitude for the prayers that I didn't deserve answered. Gratitude for the times that I knew what I was doing. And he still forgave me. Gratitude for every altar call that was ever given and I held back. I ain't like some people in this room. I had a lot of chances to come to Jesus and I didn't take them. There's a lot of people Justin tried to get me to go and I held back. I was too prideful. I was too proud. I was too arrogant. But when I finally tasted of the goodness of God, how many times I wish I could have went back. God, thank you that you found me when I was 17. But my God, if I could have got a hold of it when I was 13, if I could have found it, if I'd only been one of them kids raised up, cutting my teeth on a pew. 
understand it. And some of the people that was raised in it saw so much ugliness and politics and the junk and garbage that men try to intertwine with who God is. And it becomes about religion and not about relationship. But when I stop to think of all the times I could have slid right out the back door. But grace, like a big old safety net, caught me. And God said, I love you too much to let you go that far. It's the gratitude of it. There is nothing that your family cannot accomplish. There is nothing your marriage cannot survive if you can keep gratitude as the foundational building block of it. Thankful that God brought you this far and gave you another day. Put breath in your lungs and sight in your eyes and sound in your ears. You may not feel like lifting your hands, but thank God you got hands to lift. I may not feel like shouting, but as long as there's breath in my lungs, I got to give God praise because can nobody do me like Jesus can. My God, I don't know if anybody's getting anything out of this, but I sure am having fun preaching it. Lord, thank you, Jesus. I got to get through this. I got to get through this. Help me, Jesus. Help me be the Presbyterian James, not the Pentecostal one. Help me, Jesus. I love Presbyterians. I love them all. I don't know where that came from. That wasn't in my notes. If that offends anybody on video, I'm sorry. I love you in Jesus' name. (laughs) Gratitude. Not just gratitude, stewardship. Stewardship. Gratitude is being thankful for what God has given. Stewardship is knowing how to handle what God has given. 1 Timothy 5 and 8 says, But if any provide not for his own house, and especially, or if any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Infidel means unbeliever. That means not only does God expect me to know how to handle my money for, for him and for the people that he wants to reach, but if I have children or I have a wife or I have a husband, God has trusted me with that family. And I may not have everything, but as long as I'm faithful with what I have, God will bless me. Amen. You may be working your tail end off and feeling like you ain't getting anywhere, but that's all right. As long as you and your family got food in your mouth and a roof over your head, you keep pushing. Man of God, woman of God, you keep pushing. You keep plunging. You, you keep on going. You keep swinging that hammer. You keep getting up in the morning. You keep working those late nights. Whatever it is you got to do, if you're faithful with little, God will make you ruler over much. You just be faithful with what God has given you. Stewardship, stewardship, stewardship under my family, into my marriage. And then I'll say this. Stewardship with God. Now, I'm going to say something, and let me tell you this. I'm going to read something that may make, number one, I'm going to probably tell a lot of you something right now that you don't, that maybe you've never heard before, but I'm going to read it straight out the Bible. Number two, I'm going to say something that may make some people uncomfortable because we look around and we look at our budget and we look at what God says, and and the two just don't seem to line up. But let me tell you, I didn't write it. And, and if I had my choice with it, yeah, I, I can sit around and think of a lot of things that I could do with the money that I give to God. And I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. Because this church, everybody that's been here for, for a year and a half, two years, you know, I've preached on tithe, I think, two times. Money, two times in two and a half years. And when I preach this... I'm not preaching this because I need somebody's $5 that they've got in their pocket. Let me tell you this. If you have not been tithing or giving up till now, we've apparently made it this far. And we've made it this far because, number one, God is faithful. Number two, we are good stewards with what he has given us. That's why people look around and they say, how in the world did the harbor in two years get to the point that it's at and own 12 acres in the middle of town? How in the world did you get there? Because God is good and we're faithful with what he gives us. We are faithful. We are stewards with what he's given. It ain't about the preacher trying to be rich. It ain't about everybody else trying to look faithful. We ain't trying to have the best. We're trying to be effective. We want to be found faithful with what God has given us to work with. 
D.L. Moody, I've said it before, D.L. Moody in the midst of the lowest year of the Great Depression when when some of the largest businesses in America were shutting down, D.L. Moody's ministry had $13 million come through in the lowest year of the Great Depression. They asked him, they said, how in the world when big corporations, 500 companies, 500 fortune companies of that time, what would have been, are shutting down and closing down? How in the world did your ministry build orphanages and build Christian schools and build all these things? He said, because God knew he could give it because he knew my fingers weren't sticky. He knew if he gave it, I'd be faithful with it and I'd give what I could. But let me tell you, I'm, I'm going to read this. Out of the scripture, this is straight from your Bible in Leviticus 27, verse number 30. You can see it on the screen. And all the tithe of the land, all the tithe, not of the church, all the tithe of the land. That's why I said that this is a principle that is not just for Christians. Even even secular companies and secular systems can be blessed if they live according to the principles of God. They may not be saved. They may not make it to heaven, and they won't if they don't find Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But if they follow the biblical principle of finances, even even companies that are not faith-based can be blessed. Why do you think they give so charitably? Why do you think Target wants you to know what they gave? Walmart wants you to know what they put back in Campbell County. It's because it's a biblical concept that works. He said, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy. When it says it is holy, God says it's mine. It is his. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all, now notice this. This is going to throw some of y'all. If a man will at all redeem all of his tithes, that means if you spend any of your tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. Do you know what that means? God said, and if you read it in Malachi 3, the Bible says if you take what's God's, you're a robber, and and he's going to send the devourer. You know what this means? This scripture says if I take my tithe and spend it on something else, God's going to charge you interest. It said a fifth part. You know what that means? Ten just went to 30. Because a fifth part is 20%. I'm telling y'all, I always said I couldn't afford to pay tithe. Then I realized, you know what? I really can't afford not to. He gonna get what's his either way. A fifth part thereof. And it says, And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Holy means it's his. He shall not search whether it be bad or good or bad, neither shall he change it. In other words, you can't give God what's left or what you want to. You gotta give him what's his. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. In other words, he's saying, if you try to give God what you want to give, but you ain't giving him at first what he's commanded you to give, that means he's gonna take what he commanded you and keep what you gave him that's how God works now now let me say it like this tithe a lot of people think tithe means 10% and I've said this before when when I've taught on this and there's so many things I could go into this and I don't have time to tithe is not 10% of your income tithe is the first 10 God wants the first fruit of what you had why preacher why does God want my money he don't want your money If God needed the money, he wouldn't have gave it to us in the first place. Because it says he is the one that gave us power to get wealth. You may work on the power lines. You may lay uh, railroad tracks. You may do construction. You may be a nurse. You may have whatever. It is God that gives you the mobility, the intelligence, and the strength to do what you do to get it in the first place. And it's not that God needs it. But for every preacher that has ever told you God does not want your money, it's a lie. Do you want me to tell you why? Because you can find right here. Let me read it to you. This is why God wants your money. Hold on. I'm trying to find my scripture. Where'd it go? You've got it for me on the screen anyway. Anyway, I'll just quote the scripture. You can, you can look it up and I guarantee you, you'll find it. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you know why God wants your money? Because he wants your heart. And most of us can't separate the two. That's why he never said money was evil. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. Most people, God wants their money because it lets him know where their heart is. It's the faithfulness of it. I give God my first 10 not because I can afford it. I give God the first 10 because that's his principle. If I give him the 10, he blesses the 90. Listen to me closely. This is not about church. 
I have done this for two and a half years. I do not look at any person in this building's tithing record. I don't know who's sitting in front of me tithes. Who does it? You don't believe me? Ask my secretaries. They can tell you I don't look at any of it. That, that way, I didn't want anybody to ever say, well, he treats them different because they're a big giver. No, I don't. I don't know what you gave. You may have came in like Donald Trump. You may have came in like a popper off the street. I don't know the difference. But God does. It's the first And when I give him, the reason he wants not 10%, but the first 10 is because it's faith giving him the first that the 90 will be sufficient enough. And do you know what that means? God says in Malachi 3, you get a chance to read it. You want to know the, the, the full detail of what God says about giving. Read Malachi chapter number 3 and you'll find it because the Bible says crazy. God tells you that he will curse you if you do not give it. You are cursed with a curse, is what the Bible says. King James, NIV, NLT, any way you want to take it, it is what it is. But if you give that first 10, God says, I will bless the 90, and you will do more with the 90. That's why some people can be happy with minimum wage, and some people making six figures, and they're still miserable. If you can learn to be a good steward... And be thankful and give God what is rightfully his. He will bless what you have. I don't know how it works, but it works. Makes no sense to me. But it's just like when you get an apple and you take the seed out of the apple, you take a portion out of the hole, you give it back, you put it in the ground. You know what you get? You get more apples and you get more seeds. And it's a continual process of what you need is a portion of the whole. That's how tithing works. And God is faithful to bless those that follow his principle. That's why people looking around saying, man, I just don't know why God blessed me. Why is God moving on some other people? I've got to ask myself two things. Number one, am I thankful for what I have? Number two, am I a good steward with what I have? There are three biblical ways to give, and I'm going to say this quick because I'm going to close with my last point. I'm going to fast forward through this. There is tithe, there is offering, and there is seed. It's the three different biblical types of giving. Tithe is already God's. It's like if, if my wife gave me $20 and she wanted me to give her $2 back, it's easy for me to give her the $2 back because the $20 was hers. And she gave me the whole thing. That's the principle of tithe. It's already God's. He gave it to me. I'm just giving back what he asked for. The second principle is offering. Offering is anything above my tithing, anything. Could be 10 cents, could be $10 million. That is an offering unto God. And, and, and you might say, well, what if you offer, it, but yet you don't tithe? That's the same thing that we read in Leviticus. God will get both. He'll just get in his own way. The second is offering, and then the third is seed. And this is what a seed is. The difference in between a seed and an offering is an offering is something that you give unto God. And a seed is something that you sow unto God. There's one time it's mentioned in the New Testament, and it was the Apostle Paul mentions to one of the churches about sowing seed. And for anybody that would say, well, tithing is Old Testament. No, it's not. I can point out to you in the Bible, in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus himself said to tithe. You might say, preacher, where in the world's it at? He was talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees tithing a tenth of everything they had, but yet their hearts were not in the right place. He said they tithed, and that is good. They should tithe. So if Jesus says you should, that right there is a simple enough principle. If Jesus said it, then that is what it is. Drop the mic and go home. He said it. But he said, but yet you ought to have your heart in the right place too. Tithing won't get you to heaven. It don't matter how much you give. That does not give you entitlement in the kingdom of God. I had somebody got so mad at me one time because I, I pointed out something that was going on. And I said, this isn't right. And the person argued me and they said, you can't talk to me that way. I'm the biggest tither here. I said, honey, I don't look at the tithing record. But let me tell you a biblical fact. If you were given that because you thought it gave you a status, you weren't tithing. You were making a payment. Because I tithe unto the Lord. You, you can give your 10% as unto God. Your preacher can be crookeder than a Kentucky road. But it don't affect your blessing. He'll stand in judgment for his stewardship. You gave it unto the Lord. Now, if you give it because you want that pastor to let you sing every third Sunday of the month, you ain't tithing, honey. You're trying to make payments. God, don't play that. Sowing seed. I'll go on. Man, there's so much of this stuff. that I, Is this all right? Is anybody getting anything out of this this morning? <laughs> Gratitude. Stewardship. And finally this. You know what? Hold on. I'm going to say this. Because talking about sowing seed. Let me say this and then I'll move on. I promise I'm going to get everybody to Shoney's in the next 20 minutes. 
or Cracker Barrel, wherever you choose. Some of you looking around like, I ain't going to say. <laughs> Sowing seed. We, we had something like this happen. Is it all right if I share our testimony, baby, about what God did for you last year? Is that all right? We did a fundraiser last year because we were, we were raising money to purchase that yellow bus. And, and many of you people remember this fundraiser. We did an envelope wall out there. and we had, the, we had envelopes from number one to 150. And how it worked is you prayed about it. You took whatever envelope that you wanted, and that's what you gave. So if you prayed and you felt the three, you took the three envelope, and you gave $3. And it was a voluntary. You know, whoever wanted to do it did it. And we used that to buy the bus and, re- and remodel the kids' room. And, and God blessed it. And Rebecca, last year, she was wanting a job. She was looking to go back into teaching. And she was, she was praying about a job, and she really liked the elementary school that she, that, that she was, uh, you know, she, she knew where she was wanting to work. And so she prayed about it. She applied. There were no jobs. So she came out there, and she got an envelope off that wall. And that wasn't an offering to her. It was a seed. She said she put her money in that envelope. She gave that envelope. And she said, I'm believing God for my job. What was it, a week? A week later, she gets a phone call. There is a teacher that is going on leave, and if they're gone longer than, is it two weeks? If it's longer than two weeks, they have to have a licensed teacher to fulfill rather than just a typical substitute. So they called her and asked, would she like to work for a few weeks at this same school? In the same grade she wanted. So she went in, she did it. The teacher decided, "Mm, since I've got a backup plan, I'm going to stay a little bit longer. Then she decided to stay till Christmas. Then she decided to go ahead and take the whole year off. And so a school that did not have a position, she's working in it all year long. At the end of the year, the teacher decides to retire. Guess where Rebecca is teaching right now? Not only in the same grade, but in the same classroom. That's seed sowing. Verlin, is it all right if I share that story that you were telling me about? Would that be all right? Verlin was telling me here the other, uh, just, just a while back. He said, you know, he said, we started coming to the harbor. And he said, we started praying. And he said, we were praying about where to give our tithe. We were in a transition process. And he said, we prayed. And he said, him and his wife uh, talked. And they said, you know what? We see what God's doing there. We feel like we need to sow our tithe to the harbor. And so that next time that came up, they, they gave their tithe here to the church. Of course, I didn't know anything about it. We, he caught me on the porch of the fitness center, and we were talking one morning. He said, wouldn't you know, he said, we, we talked, and, and, and if I remember correctly, you tell me if I'm wrong, something along the line of, we see that it's fertile soil, and we want to give there. Gave their tithe, what was it, Monday or Tuesday when you got called in? Tuesday, he goes back to work. Boss calls him in, and he says, Verlin, I noticed you've been doing a real good job, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you, and here's a $100 gift card. You go and you do with it whatever you want to do with it. And he came home, and he said, do you believe, Jessica, that it's any coincidence? Jessica said, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. Because when you are faithful with what God has given you, and you do it prayerfully, you do it prayerfully. You don't do it because the preacher said to. preacher says, so $10,000, you're going to reap a cul-de-sac. No, you ain't. That ain't Bible. When it comes to tithe, you got to tithe in the, in the church or the storehouse, the church where you feel that that is your home. That's where you're rooted. If you're visiting from such and such Washington, D.C., don't, don't pay your tithe here. Give it to your home church. And a money-hungry preacher wouldn't say that. Sowing offering, sowing tithe, or giving tithe, sowing seed, all of these things are stewardship. And everybody's stressing about money, but here's the silly thing. If we just do it the way God told us to, he promises he will provide. It's gratitude. It's stewardship. And then finally this, and this is a big one. If we can get these three things operating in our life, you will never want for anything. You may go through a period of time, but you wait and see. In the end of it, you'll look back. Every need shall be provided. You ready? Here's point three. Compassion. Compassion. This is what the Bible says in Jude 1 and 22. And if some have compassion, making a difference. I want to read a story to you, and I'm going to kind of breeze through it here real quick. In Matthew 18, 27 and 28, it says, Then the Lord of the servant, he's talking about a person that owned the, they owed their master or the person that they worked for a large sum of money. 
and he begged and he pleaded that the, that the person he owed money to would have mercy on him. And it says, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and he loosed him and forgave him of the debt. Man, wouldn't it be nice if Capital One and your mortgage holder and everybody else would do that? Just, I just go ahead, don't worry about it. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which was which is like a thousandth of what he owed his creditor. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me that that thou owest. And go on down to Matthew 18, verse 32 through 34. This is what his master said when he heard about it. He said, then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desired me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due unto him. This is the story. One man was forgiven a large debt. And somebody owed him a small portion of what he owed. And even though he was forgiven, he refused to show mercy and compassion on someone else in need. How many times that we as people, and a lot of us have probably done this, and if not, just blame it on your in-laws and nod and pretend like they did it. And you're just like, yeah, I know crazy people like that. We will be in a place where we're begging and pleading, God, God, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. And we're surrounded by people in need. And we hold back our compassion. Some people try to cheat the system and they try to take their tithe and give it to somebody that's in need. God will curse that too. Because he said that's his. But when I see my brother in need. When I know that I'm sitting over here with a loaf of bread and bologna. And there's somebody over there that has no bologna. The Bible says if I shut up my bowels of compassion. And I don't know why I use bologna. I like bologna and I'm country and the scripture mentions bowels. I don't know what it is. But anyways, loaf of bread and bologna. I'm sorry. My mother-in-law just dropped her head and I'm in trouble now. <laughs> I'm sitting over here with this. The Bible says if I see my brother in need and I shut up my bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in me? I thought of something yesterday and, and I'll say this and then I promise you I'm going to close. This is my third time so I'm going to close four closings early today. You're welcome. God spoke something to me so silly yesterday. I was sitting in the living room last night, and I was just sitting there reading over. Saturday, Saturday's my, my, my day that usually I, I'd spend in the Scripture, and I was out yesterday, so I got in late last night, Brad, and I was sitting there just reading through my, my Scripture. And I have a dog, which you would think is a person. She's nine months old. And I used to be one of the most loved people in my household, and I'm no longer in that situation. My mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, and my wife all choose the dog over me. And this dog has no idea that she's not human. I absolutely no idea at all. And she's a black lab, and some of you guys can relate if you got dogs. I don't. My dog is no, no joke. She is a vacuum cleaner. She will suck anything down her throat. She can get down it. She eats nonstop. And so, we, you know, I, I sit there and I fed her, and, 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 and my wife is like, oh, she's hungry, and she throws her something. And, you know, Carol's like, oh, you starving. And I'm sitting there watching in my corner thinking, they're going to kill this dog. She's going to eat herself to death. And she goes through the round, you know, and it's funny. I'm the last one she comes to because she knows, you know, if I got food, I ain't giving it up. You know, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy. I'm going to eat that stuff till I get the taste off my fingertips. You know, can I get an amen from the men? Yes. I feel like the Lord is moving in this house now. <laughs> and so this dog comes over to me, and she just sits there, and she looks up. She does. She got this pitiful look down, Pat, you know, and she looks up at me, and, and I started to give her something to eat, and I thought, no. Because I'm the only one listening to what the vet said. And the vet said, you can't give them a lot of human food. And I sat there and I, I looked down. And, and this is funny. The Lord just dropped this in my spirit. I looked down and, and I told this dog. I don't know why. I'm just talking to a dog. And I said, buddy, I can't give this to you because it's not healthy for you. And she just looks at me like, stingy. You know, she's just staring at me, giving me this pitiful big brown eye look. And she walks off to Rachel to go get something from her, you know. And God spoke to my spirit. And this may sound silly, but the Lord spoke to my spirit. And he said, this is the same way that I have to deal with you. He said, because sometimes you want things 
And you think I'm holding it back from you. And you don't understand. But I know what you can handle and what you can't. I know what you're ready for. I know it's too much. It may look like a great thing, but I love you so much that I'm willing to hurt your feelings if I have to in order to make sure you survive. And I'm sitting there and and I'm thinking as the Holy Spirit drops this in my spirit, and I thought, but you know what? The more she grows, she can handle a little bit more. Carl, the bigger she gets, the more she grows. And could it be that that's the same thing God's waiting for with us? When I get a little bit more gratitude, when I learn how to be faithful with everything he's already done, and when I learn to stop through the chaos of my life and look around and think, who can I be a blessing to? That's when God looks down and says, you've grown. You're ready for more.